Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. You know, I was watching when we had uh, Lauren and and Kate and uh, Lynette up here, and I thought, wow, how blessed we are to have so many incredible spiritual moms in the Lord in this house. Amen, and, and spiritual fathers too. And so I think, I think the days are bright for our family on mission and, and so grateful for you, Lynette, so grateful for you, Kate, and uh, just uh, so grateful for you, Lauren, as well. Well, I wanna start out with some true confession. Is that okay? It's better than false confession, isn't it? You know, whenever I was a kid, I, I, I used to come, sometimes church got a little bit dry for me and don't raise your hand if you, you, you understand that. But one of the things that I, I would do is I would go to the back of my Bible and I'd go past one little rite of Revelation and I'd find myself in the maps. Any of y'all ever read the maps? And I'd look at the maps. I had really good colored maps, you know. And so I would look at the maps, the journeys of the Apostle Paul. Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Timothy. And I would just kind of, in my mind, I'd go off, I'd start thinking about wow, I wonder what it'd be like to have traveled with those guys. Because it seemed like they were having all the fun, right? How many of you know God really wants us to have some fun in this journey called life? He really does. And uh, it doesn't matter whether it's a pandemic or, or, or whatever kind of demic. It, God is for us. And so I, I, there's one journey that you won't find in the maps though. And that's the journey I wanna talk to you about today. Saul of Tarsus, who later becomes... Uh, the great apostle Paul, is on a mission journey to Damascus. And when he gets there, his mission is not to preach the gospel. It's to stop the preaching of the gospel. His mission is not to make disciples for Jesus, but it's to imprison disciples of Jesus. So some of us already are thinking, wow, that, I, that sounds familiar. I remember my life before Jesus. But how many of you know Jesus is for you before you're before him? He's for, he's for us. And he sees way ahead of our future and, and he calls forth who he wants us to be. You know, I can see Paul getting up that day or Saul getting up that day and he's getting ready to go to Damascus to imprison a bunch of people and, and he's, he's getting ready for the day and he has no clue that he is getting ready to have a Kairos moment with God that's gonna change everything. Hello? Any of you ever wake up in the morning and you say, God, what do you, what, you have something for me today that could change the trajectory of my entire life today. How many of you know that's how life works? We don't, we don't know what today holds or what tomorrow holds, but life is full of these kairos moments. A kairos moment is this. It's a moment in time. It actually means time. It's a moment in time when everything changes. Paul didn't know, but, but his life was getting ready to change dramatically. We've all had these moments in our lives, haven't we? You know, uh, for those of you who, who've gotten married recently, that's, that was a Kairos moment, wasn't it? Your life changed. It'll, ne it'll never be the same, I promise you. Some of y'all have had babies. How many have, have had babies in the, look at here. Did that change your life a little bit? It changed your life, didn't it? 
Life is made of these divine encounters. Is there anything more supernatural than childbirth? If there is, I can't, I can't think of what it is. But the only thing that matches it or comes close is rebirth. It's being born again of the Spirit. And Saul of Tarsus, he's getting ready to have an encounter that's gonna change his life. But it's also gonna change the whole world. It's gonna turn the world upside down. So this morning, what I wanna talk to you about is the title of the message is, my life, everybody say, my life is a living parable. Your life, my life, it's a living parable. Saul's life was a living parable of what it looks like to live on the right side of the cross. Now we're gonna see that God has these kairos moments for him long before he realizes what really took place at the cross. Can I tell you, God's always drawing us, wooing us, pursuing us. And maybe you're listening by TV, you just kind of were, were uh, surfing and you came across this deal here and you're going, wow, really, could God really intersect me? Could there be a divine intersection for my life? Some of you, there might be somebody here today just came in and said, you know, I, I need something. Well, can I tell you, God will intersect you. Divine encounter is just a part of the suddenlies of who God is. And so we're gonna talk about Paul's life, but along the way, I want us to look at our own lives. Our own lives are a parable of what it looks like to live on the right side of the cross. So two, two thoughts here. Number one is divi divine encounters or kairos moments in our lives. How many could use a kairos moment? A divine encounter, one of those moments where everything would change, the, the entire path of your life, maybe a calling on your life, may, maybe a mate for the future. There's something in your life, a job, a vocation, and God wants to show up and show out and show you, okay? And so that's the first part. The second part is once we realize that, that those Kairos moments are available over and over and over again, the second thing is the thing that sustains it and brings it all together is our story. See, our life story is a parable about the kingdom of God. Our life story is a parable about what it looks like to live on the right side of the cross. So what is a parable? A parable is a story that illustrates a reality. Now, your life's a parable of a story that illustrates a reality. But the question is, what reality is your story illustrating? You know, Jesus, Jesus talked in parables all the time, didn't he? He loved to speak in parables, but that was because they illustrated a spiritual reality. We see people every day, they're looking at our lives, and, and when they see the Spirit of God emanating from us, it illustrates a reality that could be a kairos moment for them, amen? Kairos moments come through people. And so I'm gonna walk you through, I'm gonna walk us through a little bit of the story, the beginning of Paul's life, Saul of Tarsus. He'll be referred to as Saul all the way through this story because he didn't become Paul until he's on a journey that is in the maps in the back of the book, right? So that's what I wanna talk to you about a little bit this morning. So let's start in Acts chapter eight. Acts chapter eight, first time Saul is mentioned in the Bible. And, and if we could have that uh, slide up there, let's just take a look at it. It says, and Saul approved of their killing 
of Stephen. Who, who's, who killed Stephen? Well, a bunch of angry Jewish men had just stoned Stephen to death. And that the next chapter begins with Saul was there presiding over this stoning and he approves of it. On that day, great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. That's where it's all happening. And this is a line that I think is kind of interesting. It says, all except the apostles scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, why is that interesting? Because the word apostle means what? Sent one. Everybody left except the sent ones. They stayed in Jerusalem. Is that, is that not amusing to you? It is to me. What did, what did Jesus tell them? He says, look, you, all authority, heaven and earth is going to be given to you. You're going to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. But where do they stay? In Jerusalem. They still stay there. Now look at verse two. It says, godly men, here's the contrast. Godly men, men who were in line with the will of God, buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul, verse three, Here's the contrast. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, dragged off both men and women, and he puts them in prison. This is, this is the assignment that, that Saul thinks he has from God. Now, why do you think Saul was so angry? Why do you think Saul was so uh, angry with Stephen. Have you ever met somebody who, uh, whenever they, they came into a room and you're around them, you just felt like that they thought they were the smartest person in the room? Hello? Don't point at anybody. You know? Can I tell you, when Saul walked into the room, he was the smartest person in the room. N.T. Wright, who's a great scholar of New Testament, says this, I always like the N.T., New Testament, right? N.T. Wright, anyway, scholar of New Testament, he said this, he said, Saul of Tarsus was one of the five most sophisticated intellects of his generation. Think about that. He's a smart guy. He has his way. He has his plan. He has God's plan, the Torah. He has the temple. He has tradition. He has all this stuff that he thinks this is the right way. And this sect has got to go. Now, look at this. In Acts 6, 7, I think this is what was stirring in, in Saul's mind that brought about the stoning of Stephen. It says, so the word of God spread and the number of disciples of Jesus in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, why is that important? Do you realize there were 8,000 priests in that day? And it says a large number of those people became followers of Jesus of Nazareth. Saul is Pharisee of Pharisees. He's Hebrew of Hebrew. He is the guy who is head of the class and he's going, we are losing our brightest leaders to this mythical Jesus of Nazareth who has been crucified. How in the world can there be a crucified Messiah? That's his thinking, right? And so what happens is this. I'm gonna just give you the very last part of Stephen's message. 
Because Stephen's conclusion, or the way he landed the plane on this sermon, I mean, it, it, it lit a fire in Saul. Not a good fire. I mean, he became so angry. He was furious. This is, this is what Stephen says. He says, You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed the one who predicted the coming of the righteous one. They even killed John the Baptist. And now they, you, you, and he's looking at that, you guys have betrayed and murdered the Messiah, Jesus. You have received the law that was given by angels, but you've not obeyed it. You, you will not receive and accept this new covenant, this grace, this gift of Jesus. You won't receive it. And so, as you can imagine, it, the members of the Sanhedrin heard this and they were furious. They gnashed their teeth at Stephen. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, say full of the Holy Spirit, do you realize Stephen, Stephen wasn't your run-of-the-mill kind of guy who was reasoning with his head. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Scripture, the ch chapter over says that there in the freedmen, in the synagogue of the freedmen, there are people that would come in and challenge Stephen. And it says there was, there was one guy from Cilicia who went in there. Do you know where, you know where Saul Tarsus was from? Cilicia. And Stephen pounded him in the ground because he was full of the Holy Spirit. One of the five smartest people of his generation could not stand to a man full of the Holy Ghost. Okay? And that's what's going on here. And Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, is preaching this message. In fact, in that chapter, it says, his face shone like an angel. What do you do with that? What do you do with a guy who's got more supernatural wisdom than any human intellect can contain and he's just emanating the love and the life of God and he ends a sermon like this. Basically, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit and forgive these guys because they have no idea what they are about to do. What is he doing? He's quoting the very words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says that they began to pull out stones and they stoned him and they all laid their cloaks at the feet of a young man by the name of Saul. Now, why do I call this a Kairos moment? Have you ever had a moment with God that made you mad? Just made you mad. God was pointing you in a direction that you did not want to go. You had your life figured out. You had things were going pretty good. You're kind of at the top of the heap. And God came in, he scrambled your eggs. Anybody have that happen? That's what's happening to Saul. He gets madder and madder and madder. Go, go to chapter nine. Time is kind of uh, expired now. I mean, has gone on. It could be as, as much as a couple years have passed by now. And by now, the church is growing. It's exciting. Uh, in, in chapter uh, eight, it's all about how, how these guys have left Jerusalem. They're in Samaria. They're doing signs and wonders and people are coming to Christ. But look what it says in chapter nine. Chapter nine, it says, meanwhile, while Philip's in Samaria doing signs and wonders, meanwhile, Saul is still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. 
He still hadn't made the shift. Even though God is proveniently bringing himself to him, he will not come. So what's he do? He goes to the high priest and he asks him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. He's gonna leave Jerusalem. He's just gonna go and find anyone that belongs to the way. That was the name of the early church. Whether men, women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, a funny thing happened on the way to his perceived assignment, his perceived mission. Verse three says this, as he entered Damascus on his journey, suddenly, how many of you can say God will nail you with suddenlies? God will get you when you least expect it. You're just cruising along. He goes, no, not that one. No, not that way. And he'll give you his path. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell on the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, have you noticed when Jesus is really, really, really disappointed, he uses the double name thing, huh? Simon, Simon, Martha, Martha, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Have you noticed that? Steve, Steve, you ever have one of those? Saul, Saul. He's getting, why do you persecute me? Now he still doesn't know who he's persecuting. So Saul, hoping against hope says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. I am Jesus. Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. So Jesus is just had a divine encounter with Saul. I wanna, I wanna look at a um, observation here. We've skipped a couple, but we'll, we'll go back to one. First one is this. We must not edit out our shameful events from our life parable, they're important markers of our transformation. What do I mean by that? You know, Saul, he was angry at the original uh, stoning of Stephen and, and he could have easily just covered that whole deal over. He later became ashamed, shamed of what he had done that he had presided over the killing of God's man and God's purposes and God's ways. But you know what? He never edited out, he never edited it out of his story, never edited out of his parable. And I want to tell you, guys, we have got to get to a place of vulnerability where we'll be honest about the things that we that have happened in our life that God has used to turn us around and turn us to him and his purposes. Can I get a better amen? Okay, now look at another option here. Often God takes advantage of horrible circumstances to get his people where he wants them. You know, God, how, how many of you understand that Joel, Joel's and uh, brother and sister-in-law are in Greece right now ministering to refugees from Syria and Iran and Iraq and Afghanistan that had, had there not been shaking and them moved, 
these people, many of them would never have heard the gospel. God will shake things up, won't he, to get his people where he wants him to be. There are some of you that are sitting in here right now because God's been reshuffling the deck and you're thinking, how in the world did I end up in San Marcos, Texas, in wherever church, Hill Country Church, San Sozo. Can I tell you how you got here? Because God takes advantage of horrible circumstances, even pandemics. Can I tell you, I believe that one of the greatest Kairos moments for us right now is this divine pause that we are all calling the COVID pandemic. God's just going, no, no, I just got everybody quiet enough to hear me. I just got everybody still enough to, to hear the new things that I wanna do, the new ways that I wanna do them and, and their need for me because you can't do it in your own strength. You're gonna absolutely have to get on your face, humble yourself and say, help Jesus. Holy Spirit, I can't do this without your power, okay? Paul's gonna learn some things here in a little bit when he has his next divine encounter. So let, let's move on a little bit. So. He is, uh, Jesus is, is told him, I want, I want you to go into the city of Damascus, but I'm gonna give you a different assignment. And so he, um, it says, the men traveling with Saul stood there. This is verse seven in um, Acts nine. I've gone back into that. If we can get that up there. Okay. And, and so these guys, it's interesting to me that they, they heard they heard the sound, but they did not see Jesus. You know what Jesus' most often quoted statement is? He who has ears to hear, no, yeah, ears to hear and eyes to see, let them hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. You know what's happening here? They're getting half the equation. They got ears to hear, but they don't have eyes to see. Saul has it all. Saul gets knocked down. It goes on, it says that these men... Are, are, are with Saul. He gets up off the ground and his eyes, uh, he opens his eyes, but he can't see. So they lead him by the hand to Damascus. For three days, he's there blind and he hasn't eaten anything. This is the next Kairos moment for Saul. And I want to tell you, these are the ones that are not much fun. I want you to think about this. For three days, Saul is blind, he, he eat, he's not eating anything, and he is just waiting. It, but do you know where he's waiting? He's waiting on Straight Street. Isn't that interesting? See, see, God says, okay, listen, here's the plan. I'm gonna straighten you out, Saul. We're gonna put you on Straight Street. He's hiding out, right? It's Straight Street. But Saul, listen, I I have your address. In fact, I appointed your address. There's some of you right now, you're at Straight Street and you're going, I don't like Straight Street. Don't like waiting on Straight Street. Hate Straight Street. Put me somewhere else. And God said, well, when you get straightened out, then we'll, we'll give you your assignment and let you go. Now, what do you think Saul was thinking about for three solid days while he's on Straight Street? You ever thought about that? I think there's a lot of things going on while he's, he's on straight street. But I, I think, number one, I, I think God helps him out a little bit. He gives him, he works on both ends of the initiative. He gives him a vision, doesn't he? Gives him a dream. He says, listen, just so you know, I'm not punishing you. Hello? COVID ain't a punishment. He said, I'm not punishing you. I've got you quiet now. 
And I'm gonna give you a vision. I've got a guy, I'm gonna give you his name. His name's Ananias. And he's gonna come here, so you, you'll know it's, I work on both ends of the initiative. While I'm working with you, I'm working on him too. And he said, he's gonna come and he's gonna lay hands on you. And when he lays hands on you, your sight is gonna come back. Don't you think that helped Saul during those three days a little bit? Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit gives us dreams, gives us prophetic words, gives us words? Am I the only one? Aren't you glad? God says, I'm not gonna leave you. I'm not gonna forsake you. I'm not gonna leave you in a hole here. I'm gonna take care of you. You know, so he says, listen, I, I wonder if, if a lot of that time he was just thinking over and over about the voice of Jesus. Don't you? Why, Saul, Saul, why have you, that's all he said, why have you persecuted? That's all he said, right? And he said, now go, to, go into town. I bet, I bet he played that over in his head over and over and over. Wonder how many times he played over in his head the words of Stephen, the sermon of Stephen, the picture of Stephen being stoned to death, all of those things that he was seething with anger and fear and all of the things that he just knew were right. You think he was maybe thinking about every scripture that he had in that photographic mind of his that he had ever studied from the Torah, everything that he'd ever studied in the Tanakh and the Old Testament. And he's thinking about Messiah, 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 the suffering Messiah. And all of a sudden it's starting to come together. See, here's the thing about Saul. All the, all the disciples had been with Jesus. They, they loved being with Jesus. They had stories to tell. But Saul alone had the mind to make sense of all that was going on to see how Jesus came to fulfill everything. And it became his life message. It became this living parable of a living life on the right side of the cross. In fact, most of the stuff we have about the understanding of what is living on the right side of the cross is comes from this man. And he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting. And like Jesus in the tomb for three days before he's raised, Paul, Saul, spends three days in darkness waiting for his new spiritual life. That's, that's, a, that's a Kairos moment, isn't it? But can I tell you what? It's very vital that we participate with God in preparation for the things that he's getting us ready for. And so sure enough, Ananias comes and Ananias <laughs> comes with fear and trepidation. And I love Ananias. Ananias was a sent one. He was an apostle. God said, listen, I've got a big job for you. He's one of the guys that's highly esteemed in Damascus. He comes in scared to death. He's having conversation with God like, God, don't you know that, how many of you know God, he knows. We, we talk to him like that. Don't you know this is a guy who's killing all the Christians and you know, this is probably not a good idea. And God says, I got him over at Straight Street. He's good to go. Now you go over there and here's what I want you to do. And when he gets there, what does he do? Give me, let's, I want to look at this observation. Let's go to the next one. There we go. No matter how dramatic your calling is, when Jesus speaks to you, confirmation, so, so important. You know what I'm saying? It's real easy after the moment is gone to go, well, wait, maybe I was just hallucinating and had a heat stroke at noon in, in the desert there. You know, I, I don't know. But when Ananias walks up to him, what does Ananias do? What is the first thing he says when he comes to Paul? He says, brother Saul, 
Now, why is that important? He's saying, man, I, God has told me about you and you're in the family now, brother Saul. You're not on the outskirts anymore. You're not, your identity is not as a Christian killer. Your identity now is a child of Christ. You're my brother. And he welcomes him in. He calls him brother. He says, you're in the family now. And then he, he lays hands on him. He prays for his sight to be filled. And, and then he gets a bonus package, doesn't he? He gets the turbo. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit right there. It doesn't say God told him that. But, but he, gets, he gets the power of God to carry out the mission that God has for him. And he tells him, he says, now here's what your mission is gonna look like. He said, you're a chosen instrument to proclaim Jesus' name to the Gentiles. But not just the Gentiles, to their kings and to the people of Israel. He said, listen, you're gonna be a world changer, Saul. And so he, 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 he does that and then he takes, he says, now let's go get water baptized, baptizes him. And he says, you hungry? And he gives him some food. How many think that could, could qualify as a Kairos moment right there? The day that God says, this is confirmation and further direction of your purpose in your life. How many right now need some confirmation in your life? See, I, I think God intersects us with real flesh and blood people that are filled with the Spirit of God that confirm, prophesy, speak over to us the very things that God is doing to fulfill your parable. See, it's a, really, it's all about a life story. Are you living a good story? You can't do it alone. You need the intersection of people in your life. And so we, 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 we see Saul now. He's in Damascus. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's water baptized. He can see again. What does he do? Three years. Everybody say three years. Again, more waiting. Now he's preaching now. First thing he does, he gets with Ananias and his buddies and they're having fellowship. I can see them doing all-nighters. And I mean, they're talking about everything because Saul can fill in some blanks for these guys and they can fill in some blanks because they've been walking with Jesus for a while. And it says that he goes, he, goes into, he goes into the synagogues in Damascus to preach the gospel about Jesus. Am I, am I the only one who thinks that's a little peculiar? I mean, word had come out. This guy's coming to kill us. He's gonna haul us away. He's got, he's got letters with our names on them. And all we have to say is we're in the way and he's taking us to prison in Jerusalem. And he votes yes every time for stoning, Okay. And he comes in, he starts preaching the gospel and people are going, what, what? For three years, he's going back and forth from Damascus to, to uh, Arabia, back and forth, back and forth. Eventually, people don't know what to do with him. He's just a, a, just a, a ball of fire. And it says that they have to, he actually becomes a basket case. They have, to haul, they have to put him in a basket and haul him down out of, a, out of the wall to get him out of town. He's a basket case. Three years since he's been to Jerusalem, and guess where he goes now? He goes to Jerusalem. You know what it means to be a man without a country? Just look, look at this guy's life. All of his Jewish friends who are going, yay, go to Damascus and kill some Christians, are going, this dude has done what? He's following Jesus? 
He goes back to Jerusalem and all of the Christians, all the leaders, all the apostles of the church are going, I don't know, he's, he's, he's done what? I mean, you say, I need a Kairos moment. I don't, I don't fit in anywhere. See, I think one of the big lies the enemy has given, and I felt this more than once in my moving to San Marcos is, well, you're just kind of an odd duck. You don't fit. You don't fit in. Anybody here feel that way? Guess what? That, that's, that's exactly what the enemy wants you to think, so you'll pull up and just back out. But can I tell you what? There's a Kairos intersection coming your way. Because this is a hospitable bunch that'll say, come on in, the water's fine. Come on in, let's see where you fit. See, I believe God, again, is he's, he's, he's shuffling the deck, he's moving the pieces on the chessboard, however you wanna say it, because he's getting people where he wants them to be for his purposes. And that's exactly what's going on with Saul's life, but it takes, it takes a Kairos moment with the next guy, Barnabas. Barnabas. See, Ananias brought him hope don't we need hope? We need hope. He brought him hope. Paul, there's hope for you. But the next guy brings him encouragement. He said, what you need is courage. What you need is somebody to be a bridge for you into your destiny and your purpose. He introduces them to the folks there in Jerusalem. He introduces them to Peter and to James. And and they stay there for 15 days, 15 days. That's all he's there in in Jerusalem. Guess what happens to him? They want to kill him. They want to kill him. So they send him to, the scripture says that that they, they say, listen, this is not working out well. So you need to go back home. Where's home for, for Saul? Saul of, very good class. Saul of Tarsus goes back to Tarsus. Now, is there anything more difficult for a, an apostle, a sent one, than waiting? Probably not. Do you know how long he was in Tarsus? Does anybody know how long Saul was in Tarsus? That's not in the scripture. All you see is Saul goes to Tarsus. He was there 10 years. 10 years. You know, you know, one of the reasons why it's hard to uh, uh, chronicle Saul's life, because you're reading through Acts and you're seeing all these things that are going on, and then you're reading in the letters and you're in 2 Corinthians and he's talking about five times he was scourged and beaten with 39 lashes and you're going, where did, where did that happen? And he was shipwrecked all these times. Where did that happen? And, and you're reading through and you're, anybody, am I the only one? And, and you're going, where do I, can I tell you where all this stuff happened? Tarsus. 10 years, he's in Tarsus. And God says, listen, I'm going to grow you up. I'm going to prepare you. It's going to take 10 years to get you to a place where you can change the world. Because I'm telling you, in the next 20 years after he left Tarsus, he changed the world. While he was there, five times, scourged. You you know about the scourging deal? If, If you were either unclean or if you were a false teacher, you would get 39 lashes, okay? Now, five times, he get them, let them heal up, get them again. You know what's going on here? All he had to do was either get excommunicated or keep his mouth shut and he could come and worship. Can I tell you, Paul couldn't keep his mouth shut. 
It was just burning him. He could not help but declare the goodness of God. You know why? It's because all of these Kairos moments in his life, his life was changed. It was transformed. I think about all the characters in the scripture that are constantly fighting to go backwards. Saul is not one of those guys. His life was so radically, indelibly changed. And in the fullness of time, in the perfect Kairos moment, guess what? His old buddy Barnabas remembered him. And he said, you know what? Revival has broken out here in Antioch with all these crazy Gentiles. I can't think of anybody crazier that could come and work with these Gentiles with me than Saul of Tarsus. And he brings him in and the rest is history. Now guys, why, why do I take the time to share such a long narrative? Because Saul of Tarsus' parable of living on the right side of the cross changed the world. And I believe there are world changers sitting in every one of these chairs. I believe that. I, but I believe until we get to a place of repentance, changing our way of thinking to align with God's perspective and trust, saying, God, I trust you with me, we'll never get there. Now, there could be somebody here this morning or listening uh, uh, by video, by uh, online. And your starting place is simply this, to say, I repent. I align with your way of thinking about me. That was the hardest thing for Saul to do because he was bright and he had it figured out and it took an encounter. That's my prayer that God is encountering you right now. His presence is here, you know. He's here right now. And he's encountering us. And may, as, may it go from here to here as we say, yes, I will. I will follow you. And so I, I, believe, I believe that's where we're at tonight. And so I'm, I'm gonna kind of draw this thing to a close here. But I wanna ask you, have, have you had that Kairos moment with Jesus? Ha, have you trusted him as you've begun on this journey? I want us to just stand up. You, you need to get exercise and, and we, need to, we need to make a good confession. How many of y'all would like to be activated into something tonight? Just make a declaration of what God wants to do in and through us and for us. This is just a, a little something I wrote down just, just a little while ago called Declaration, My Life is a Living Parable. Let's say it together. My life is a living parable. My story illustrates the reality of what it looks like to live on the right side of the cross. My life is a living parable. It illustrates the reality of what it looks like to live on the right side of the cross. I'll say it one more time. My life is a living parable. My story illustrates the reality of what it looks like to live on the right side of the cross. Father, open my eyes to receive my Kairos opportunities. Moments that'll change my life. Moments that'll change my life. I receive this moment that will change my life. So it'll change the life of others. Open my eyes to see those people you're giving me that need a Kairos moment. Give me eyes to see and ears to hear what you're doing 
right now in this divine pause. I want to live from the perspective of God and not the fear of man. I repent of the fear of man. I will not edit any of my shameful events, but will learn and grow from the lessons. Let them teach me, Lord. Lord, give me grace to wait well. Lord, give me grace to wait well. In my Tarsus, on my straight street, while I'm in preparation. This week, I choose to be a Barnabas, to be a Saul, to be an Ananias, to be a Stephen. I choose to live loved, to live full, to live free. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.